Wars All In is a community of fans for all things Star Wars. We want to share our fandom with you, and we'd love for you to share yours with us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Star Wars All In. Also, search on Facebook to join in the conversation with our private group. We would love to hear from you. out there in the galaxy it's time for another episode of star wars all in the show where we go all in on all the details of the galaxy far far away my name is mac i'm one of your hosts and i'm here with my fellow critter wrangler ross mac it's great to be back this week i hope you're ready to talk about some fun stuff it's another wednesday to spend in the wars i had nowhere else i'd rather be i've been thinking about this all day I've been really, this chair, this studio, these mics, just, we're getting relaxed. Here yeah, I think I finally figured out 14. how I like my microphone set up. It only took two months yeah, to really nail it down. A couple yeah. of movements of the, but you know what? Yeah, you got these nice little tray tables. As we take that turn towards <laughs> episode 15, as we're here on episode 14, like, we're finally sort of getting okay at this. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Uh we are so happy you're here listening with us today. So thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you to Pasta La Vista 37, who recently won our novel that we were giving away, right? Our Revenge of the Sith book. Yeah. I hope they really enjoy it. Uh, we all, well, we already contacted them. Yeah, they, as you they, know, if they, you're listening they, to this they, yeah, on Wednesday, you've already gotten a book. message from us. Uh, they're going to receive it, um, and it's going to go through the holonet, and they're going to grab it. It's going to be great. Yes. But that's not... The last time we're going to give away something. No, because we are now entering our season of giveaways. We are going to have, if my math is correct, about eight giveaways here through the Rise of Skywalker premiere. And uh, our last giveaway will take place on our December 25th episode. We'll announce that. Uh, But for now, we have another one to talk about. So we've had a lot of people uh enter into our revenge of the sith novel giveaway and this week we're changing it up we're not doing a novel we are going to do a pop now Mm. i am pulling another one here uh to give away that is going to be an older pop a little bit this is the han solo loot crate exclusive from right around the time of the force awakens where han is in his snow gear Mm-hmm. from Starkiller Base. So the the blue jacket, the brown pants, uh, this is Force Awakens Han, and uh, we're going to be sending this to one of you. Yep. So this will work exactly the same way that our novel giveaway last week did. So check out our Twitter and our Instagram to see the information. But basically, it's going to be really simple, and you'll have a chance to win this free pop. So 
Come check it out. Search Star Wars All In, Twitter, Instagram, and get in on this. Yeah, we're excited for the season of giving as we approach Wookiee Life Day to uh, give you all kinds of fun things to <laughs> try and get to stocking stuff, that loved one in your Star Wars family, or just to hoard in your own Star Wars collection. Yeah, maybe you'll add it to your collection. Maybe you'll re-gift it. Uh, who knows? Maybe you'll turn around and sell it on eBay. That's up to you. But... That's not all, because tonight we have some fun things to talk to you We do. About. We still have to do a whole episode. Oh, we my gosh. Do. We're not just here to give things away. Again, we're getting too comfortable. We have to remember, oh, we have to actually record this, too. Uh, okay, let's do it. I'm uh, excited. Awesome. We're going to talk about some great topics tonight. We're going to talk about the opera scene from episode Oh, I like three. that one. I like that one. That's got so. Anakin, and that's got Palpatine, and it's got that moaning. <laughs> it does I'm have exciting. That. So much that we'll talk about it for better part of half an hour. Beautiful. We're also going to talk talk about Mr. Bones. Yeah, Mr. Bones, a battle droid. Any way I can get more battle droids back into conversation. So we're going to talk to about him for about 15, 20 minutes, and then we're going to yeah. finish up by talking about one of the favorite new creatures out there in the sequel trilogy. We're going to talk about the Hapabore. Yes, the Hapabore. Oh, I'm a fan of the Hapabore. So we'll spend a few minutes on that, and we're going to give you a nice show full of three interesting little topics right after this. You'll never guess what I just got. What's that? I got front row seat tickets to Squid Lake. No way. Are totally. we going? Oh, yeah, man. Oh, I hear it's great. It's down in the political district. It's going to be great. The Moncals came from like 500 parsecs to be here. I hear everyone who sees it just can't get enough. It's so much crying. And the, the wet on your face isn't just from the, the spheres of water. They're from your own tears. It's it emotionally so tugs at your heartstrings. But you know what I hate? What? I hate when people talk during the theater. That's the worst, isn't it? You know, you're trying to focus on a performance piece and mm -hmm, this elegant mm -hmm. music they're playing. Mm -hmm. And these two bozos in the seat next to me, this last time I went, they were just yak, yak, yakking. Darth Plagueis this. Darth Plagueis that. What a bunch of Maloney, huh? I know. I know. <sighs> Some people just have no common decency. What is this galaxy coming to? <sighs> I don't know, man. Well... Let's talk about it, huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll explain what I overheard. <laughs> all right. So tonight, we are going to be talking all about uh, one of the Squid most... Lake? Yes, well, we will talk about Squid Lake and what little information we have on it. <laughs> um, here's the thing. If you haven't figured it out by now, we are talking about one of the best scenes in, yeah. I think, all of Star Wars. I think a lot of people would probably agree, but I, I think most certainly in the prequels. Sure. So this is a scene that we're going to break down from start to finish, a whole about four minutes of it, uh, from Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Now, this scene starts, if you want to follow along with us, mm -hmm. at about 42 minutes and 30 seconds wow. into the film. So, you may remember, let's set the scene here a little bit, uh, Anakin uh, runs into a hallway, and at the back of the hallway, we have a nice sort of open view of Coruscant, the city yeah. bustling in the background speeders flying by it's nighttime mm -hmm. the city's all lit up and as anakin comes running in to this hallway we see the nice lush red carpet and the uh, ostentatious gold walls 
And, well, we can tell right away that this is a place that is refined, that uh, based on the atmosphere, the outfits, the space valet, this is probably the elite of the galaxy. So you're saying I probably couldn't have got front row seats to Squid Lake? I mean, I think you'd have to know someone who knows someone. Mm, that's probably true. Yeah. I don't know what the going rate is. I couldn't find that anywhere. It's a lot of credits. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this scene that we're about to talk about is basically a conversation that happens between Chancellor Palpatine and Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker. Yep. And the whole base of this conversation is Palpatine basically admitting to Anakin that he is the Sith Lord that the Jedi have been searching for mm-hmm. for the last 12-ish years since Darth Maul killed Gwygon on Naboo in episode and exposed one. the Sith were back. Yes, yep. this is the master they've been looking, or at least one of the Sith they've been looking for, right? Yep. So here we have this essentially scene that consists of all dialogue. So let's get through this beginning bit here. We get through, we see Anakin coming down into the landing bay, into the opera house, uh, the Galaxy's Opera House, as it's called. As Mac mentioned, the play they're there to see is called, or the performance they're there to see is called Squid Lake. Uh, Which is our first interesting thing to me about the scene (laughs) is this is the first time we've seen, very bluntly, culture in Star Wars. The reflection of like, art and music mm-hmm. like in world we've seen popular stuff like the cantina band but we've never really seen high art like this in star wars this is the opera house if you will this is squid lake is technically named after swan lake so it's probably a ballet yeah. but the point is we call it the opera scene because that's what the internet and i just and us and the script decided <laughs> well it is called the galaxy's opera house that is the name of the location so i think that's fair yeah so this so is the sydney a- opera house of star yeah. wars so what we have here is basically the highest level of artistic cultural as perceived by the people of Coruscant. Right. Okay. So as we move into our next set piece, Anakin is coming down the hallway to Palpatine's private viewing box. Now, right as he turns the corner to go in, we have a little cameo here. Mac, tell us about that. Well, the big thing is we have uh, Papa, is it Papa Nemodia? Papa Noida. Papa Noida. Yeah. George Lucas. George yeah. <laughs> Lucas, all up in blue with his daughter Katie, are walking up as two in-universe characters that are patrons of the art. Yes. I, they both appear, if I remember correctly, they both appear in Clone Wars. Yeah, I think in characters. season three that takes place. Yeah, and season it's great. Three, they, what, I have that written down here. Let me check my notes. Because Papa Noida is kind of set up to be a, a very well-known patron of the arts. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Season three, episode four is where you can see them in the Clone Wars. Here, they don't have any speaking lines. Right. They're just walking. Yeah. They're just basically standing there having a conversation as Anakin turns and goes into Palpatine's private box. And legend goes that George Lucas was sort of like had his arm twisted of like, George, this might be the last movie. You need to be in it. You need to be. Yeah. Well, I I don't I don't really know. We'll coach you in blue. It'll be fine. (laughs) And it worked out. It's nice to have him there, right? Especially since it did end up being his, well, up to this point, last Star Wars film. We'll see. Definitely the last one he directed. That I think we can be pretty solid on. We'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if he... Oh, that would be so weird. Don't even... See him directing an episode of The Mandalorian? Oh, I can't even... Oh, that would be... That would blow my... He's visited the set. Okay, so they get right, to the private right, box get with off, Palpatine. Let's get off track. Okay. And so, someone who did score front seat tickets is asked to GTFO. Yeah, basically Palpatine turns to his cronies and goes, Leave us. Leave us. 
and they all silently get up, walk away. I mean, I just assume they go to get more popcorn. I think they go to the bar, and they're just like, oh, man, we have front row tickets. You know. And you know what? This is the problem with being an entourage. You serve at the whim of the Supreme Chancellor, I guess. We asked them to take us to the Air races. We knew we'd like that better. It'd be a lot more interesting. But no, here we are. <laughs> Listen to this moaning. So if you have... <laughs> Sorry, this back. I didn't mean to no. make you lose it like that. That's fine. So if you if you haven't seen this, if you're hearing us talk about it for the first time, well, stop. Go watch Revenge of the Sith and come back because this will be you, a real awkward conversation. This should not Spoilers be the first aside, you're hearing this is just of this. Weird. Yeah, but basically the music, the the singing coming from Squid Lake is this very guttural, low rumble moan. Yeah, it's very unique. Um. I kind of think of it as like rhythmic, you know, maybe relaxing, almost like white noise. It's got like a a like um, throat singer slash didgeridoo kind of didgeridoo is a great way to describe it. Absolutely. Just real low, real humming kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. And the visuals tied with that are these giant and we're talking, I mean, hundreds of feet uh, diameter of these giant almost water bubbles floating in midair. Yeah, there's these suspended. sphere of water that are like held by repulsors or something. So they're just these like spheres. Yeah. And you have these elegant dancers with these long flowing dresses basically just swimming from one into the other yeah. in this just like koi, koi pond like kind of yeah. grace. Yeah. It, it is really, really cool. Yeah. It is awesome. So then we get into the meat of the scene. We're about 45 seconds a minute in at this point. So Anakin and Palpatine are left alone in the box. And as Anakin sits down, Palpatine reveals to him that the location of General Grievous has been found. So this is basically the beginning of the end of the Clone Wars. This scene signifies Palpatine is pulling on the final thread, trying to get a new apprentice in Anakin. Yeah. All of the years he spent is, grooming him are coming to a head in this moment. This is essentially Palpatine just going and putting that finger behind the knot of the tie, pulling it out a little bit and undoing that top button as he he knows his own end game now. Yes. The future is clear. He knows where things are headed. He feels like he has everything he needs to finally put the final phase of, I would say, the beginning of his plan into motion. Well, you no, know? He knows that this is like within the week i will be emperor or you know a well, course no, no. of action but but more importantly than that yeah it's no it, it's more it's more definitive because i think he reveals himself to anakin's like i don't care you could send your posse after me i that's part of my plan yeah okay fair and then two two hey i also know which side's gonna win i'm not going to rise as emperor as the leader of the confederacy confederacy's going down Here's the location of my general. Yeah. He also has all the guys there. If you could kill him, that'd be real convenient. If not, I have a contingency for that too. Yeah. Um, and it's, he's just starting that that something that yeah. I think is the best feeling thing in the entire thing is in yeah. Dearman's performance of, of Palpatine. Of this is the moment he starts to enjoy himself. He he feels that all the dominoes have been kicked. And it's just a matter of letting it all play out until it had it finished. He doesn't have any fears about his plan going awry from here on out. Yes. And we understand that because of the information he's sharing. Oh, yeah. So what he's doing here, essentially, after he, you know, sends all his cronies away, because this is where he does that, uh, because, you know, he can't let them hear any of his dark side info, right? So basically... These are just his opera friends. They're not really in the inner circle. <laughs> uh, so... He basically blames the Jedi Council for 
manipulating a plot to overthrow the Republic. Mm-hmm. That's the crux of his lie. He basically is coming from his point of view, sharing with Anakin how the Jedi are going to essentially become the enemies from Anakin's point of view. Mm-hmm. He's basically planting the seeds to of manipulate doubt, him. Yeah, the seeds of doubt to really make him feel that when this next part of the plan happens, that Anakin comes to these ideas almost on his own, right? So by being preemptive, telling Anakin the Jedi are plotting to take over, and in fact, I uh, I have the uh, exact moment here, so... The Jedi Council want control of the Republic. They are planning to betray me. Search your feelings, Anakin. I know they don't trust you, Anakin tells Palpatine, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Senate, the Republic, democracy, basically the Jedi are not loyal to any of the things that they say they are, right? Anakin's arguing, no, they're selfless. They're here for good. The Sith want to use their their power, their control of the Force just to amp themselves up. Well, the fun thing is Palpatine is describing himself, but putting saying the word Jedi. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, like, they don't believe in democracy. What, what do you believe in? Totalitarianism. <laughs> oh, well, they, they don't believe in the people. I'll crush the people under my heel. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't, that's not what matters right now, no, right? No, it's great. Because it's... that's what's so interesting about it is Palpatine has control in this moment. And he's really just putting his foot on the gas saying... We're going to go home to the end now, kid. I'm going to make you see things my way, right? It's the whole thing that Obi-Wan talks about from a certain point of view. Yep. It's Palpatine manipulating Anakin's point of view and twisting it to the Sith perspective, mm-hmm. right? Because what Palpatine is saying, while a lot of it is not true, right? He is basically the Jedi, what he's saying about the Jedi, not trusting him, coming after him. That is all true. Yep. Right. And so Anakin can find that speck of truth in it and begin to believe everything and, else he's saying. And this is just a giant crowbar because Anakin in this movie goes from, you know, being made a member of the council, but it's under the auspices of Palpatine. He's not given a mastership. Like the, the Jedi are doing stuff that they total that Palpatine on the other side of this movie is making have happen. And then uh-huh. he's just fueling the reasons, giving Anakin reasons why this stuff isn't going to go his way. Exactly. And then Palpatine asked Anakin, they asked you to do something that you didn't believe in, right? They asked you to spy on me. Something that made you feel dishonest. Yes. And in this moment, Anakin all of a sudden, you know, is believing what he's saying because the Jedi did ask him to do that, even though he made it clear he wasn't necessarily comfortable with that assignment. And this is after Palpatine said, hey, Make a Jedi Council member of someone I trust, which is exactly what's going to happen with the Jedi of like, Anakin, what the hell? Why is he asking you to do this? Figure out why. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's so just, again, Palpatine's I've playing both sides of the board. <laughs> I'm going to win this game of chess because the black pieces and the white pieces are both my pieces. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. OK, so we have, you know, uh, Palpatine, another really good line here. Remember back to your early teachings. All who gain power are afraid to lose it, even the Jedi. And Anakin says, no, no, the Jedi use their power for good. And this is where we get good as a point of view, Anakin. The Sith and the Jedi are similar in almost every way, including their quest for greater power. Anakin says, well, the Sith only think inwards about themselves. And Palpatine retorts with, and the Jedi don't. And Anakin Mm -hmm. says, well, the Jedi are selfless. 
And then this is where Palpatine kind of pauses. And I love this because it's a relatively long pause. It's not just a pause in conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, Palpatine kind of, his voice shifts a little bit. He turns back. He looks out at the opera. Anakin's there kind of, you can see the anguish on his face as he's trying to make sense of what's right and what's wrong. And then Palpatine hits him with really what this scene is all about, right? So did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Anakin says, no, right? Yeah. Oh, I thought not. It's a story the Jedi would not tell. It's a Sith legend. (laughs) It's a Sith legend. Mm -hmm. Plagueis was so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the Metachlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side, he could keep the ones he cared about from dying. And Anakin goes, you know, at this point, fully hooked on every word, he could stop... He could actually save people from death, right? Mm -hmm. So the dark side is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. He became so powerful, the only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which he, of of course, course he he did. did. (laughs) He taught his apprentice everything he knows, and then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. All right. Let's rewind this. And yes, start talking let's about go this. back so, through it. One of the things I really enjoy about the way they filmed this was it's really just essentially three camera setups. There's a little more movement than that. But like there's basically the across Palpatine's face towards Anakin, mm-hmm. across Anakin's face to- towards Palpatine, and then a behind the behind their shoulders. So you can see a little more squid. Just leg. their silhouette. Yeah. But for the most part, I love that this scene, like all of what he's talking about is done with this delicious thousand yard stare with just all these sort of neon lights of what the show is Mm -hmm. reflecting on his face and he's just got his eyes wide open and just like looking away which again i feel is like him just enjoying just savoring this and Dermot's performance is so good because there's the things of like unnatural like he almost like adds another syllable he like makes that word feel unnatural yes yes and it's not the thing about it is it's not necessarily menacing it's not necessarily friendly. It's this weird middle ground of he's half talking purposeful. to himself. Yeah, as if he's remembering it, right? As well, if he's remembering the moments. Which the most inspired part of this entire bit is when he goes, you know, which of course he did, which is this fun like, you know, oh, of course he he died. His apprentice killed him in his sleep. And there's just this little twinge of, his, of yep. a smile in the corner of his mouth. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm the apprentice. I killed him. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just this delicious little like. Like, and you could see it play on Hayden Christensen's face, too. Yes. Two of the, like, are we, are you still telling a story? Or, like, he can yeah. feel that this is like, oh, this is getting real. <laughs> now, what I've wondered in this moment. Yeah. So, after this scene, because we're going to talk about it a little bit more here. But yeah, after yeah. this scene, Anakin goes back to Mace and reports that I believe this is the Sith Lord we've been after. Yeah. And they go to attempt to arrest him. So, I mean, it's not that Anakin really has much other interaction after this point. I mean, he goes, so there is one more scene in Palpatine's office, but, you know, basically this is what leads him to believe. Well, I think the thing is, it's the seed of doubt. I think the most clever <laughs> yeah, thing I remember. This is where it starts. It's putting the seeds of doubt into Anakin and it's going to fuel every scene that comes after this because at this point Palpatine's yes. like you're mine 
you just don't realize it yet. Exactly. And Anakin goes through a couple more movements, but by the time he gets to the office, like he's tried so hard to be the good guy. He has tried to resist the call of this evil so long. And this is such a great, it's classic storytelling, but I'm still surprised Star Wars did it. Cause I don't know. I just figured like episode three is like, oh yeah, this word turns evil. We're just going to see that play out. And the setup you have where he's so worried about his wife turning out like his mother and he's getting a vision where she's going to get killed. He's trying to stop that. We're like, oh, that's just the fuel to get him to uh, turn to the dark side, which it is. But he really tries to do right by the Jedi and do it the right way as best he can. Yes. Which I think is the only thing about Palpatine's plan he didn't really particularly expect is I don't think he expected Anakin to resist it as hard as he did. And it all comes down to... Anakin being drawn towards the light, mm-hmm. wanting to do the right thing. Yep. But feeling that every move he makes puts him on a path away from that. Yeah. Right? He feels when he eventually does fall that it's his only choice. It's the only path out to save his wife. Yep. Right? And his unborn child. And that's why the final line of this scene before it cuts out is Anakin asking, is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. Right? So we have this really, really powerful kind of end of a conversation that is so influential to the rest of the story and to the world and to the lure that is all involved and wrapped up in this. Yep. That it's such a, almost like this cliffhanger in the middle of the movie, because this is the thread you want to pull on. You want to see more of this. This is why you're there. And then all of a sudden we're cutting away, right? And- this scene, it's so early on, it's before the halfway point yeah. of the film, and it's just, it's almost unexpected to have this big world-building moment it's essentially, in a final chapter to a story. Essentially, it's the end of Act 1 Yes, of this film, is basically the idea of, at this point, we can take an intermission and realize that Act 2 will be the fall of Anakin Skywalker. Like, that line of not from a Jedi is just going to be this wedge that drives through his soul until he says, yes, I want to still be a Jedi, but I need that thing. He has, my (laughs) wife will die otherwise. And this is the thing that's going to, and it's kind of ironic because the whole thing about it was like everyone, I don't think necessarily everyone jived with the theme, but the entire theme of the prequels with Anakin's fault is yep. Yoda was right. You know, you, you have too many attachments. Attachments are going to be your downfall. And attachments were his downfall. Yeah, they absolutely were, right? It started his fall to the dark side with his mother. Yep. Right? And then his love for Padme is what drove him there. Because, come back to what we learned in the original trilogy of your emotions, you know, help you, right? I can't remember the they exact serve you wording. Well. That's right. They serve you well, but they can be used to hurt you. I remember how well, we phrased we, it. Because right? we see this this same scene right. basically is, ec- well, not the scene, but this movement is echoing the other side, which is... Yes. um. Yoda trying to tell him essentially like almost a dark side thing to do to try and say, hey, you got to follow this path, which is the, you know, you know, my friends will be made to suffer if you believe in what they fight for. Then, yes, yeah, like you have to let your friends maybe die for the bigger cause. Yeah. Which Luke's like, no. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because Luke gets away with it. Luke's able to deal with the attachments in a way Mm -hmm. that allows him to overcome what his father couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, he trusted his friends and that's kind of Anakin's problem is he's trying too hard to, to do this for them. 
trying like, to pad me. You're going to die unless I learn a dark side superpower. Yeah. Um, well, Anakin, maybe we could just go away to the lake country and be safe from whatever's coming after me. Nope. Nope. Pretty sure this dark side magic's the only thing that's going to work. <laughs> well, and, have you told Obi-Wan? No, I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to tell dad. Well, he's your friend. He might help you. Nah. Well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so w- real quick to get back on the thread. <laughs> um, well, and but I actually want to add something oh, yeah, to that yeah, yeah. because your point I think is really valid there because if it hadn't been all this manipulation from Palpatine for years and years and years, you know, we only see mm-hmm. bits of it, we only see critical moments, but it is set up in the dialogue and in other time material that had come that. This had been a, a much longer play than just these few moments. They had been friends for a long time, and he was a mentor to yeah, him. And, we'll, <laughs> you know, all of those things. Pa- if Palpatine Pal- hadn't been there, Anakin probably would have turned to Obi-Wan or Yoda if it hadn't been for that influence. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's just, it's so well conceived as far as a reasoning goes for his fall. Yeah. It's just I can't find anything that doesn't feel real or believable about it. No, and I, like I said, I think the fight it I think the fighting it is what earns it. Like when he talks to later in the scenes when he's confronts um uh you know Palpatine and kind of Palpatine saying yet another thing that kind of says like I am a Sith just in case you missed it in the opera scene <laughs> and again's like I'm going to go tell Mace on you. Screw you, dude. I ain't no dark sider. Yeah. And he and tells Mace in like honest earnesty. And it's one of those things of it's this trust issue that kills it. Because if Anakin was allowed to go with that posse, they might have just killed the Emperor. But they didn't trust him either. Yeah. And you have a person who was rejected his whole life, right? He was a slave. He was nothing. And then he was brought into this group. He thought it was his family. And he found out even after... 12 years of devoting his life and leaving his mother and his friends and his home behind, mm-hmm. he felt like they didn't want him. Well, I think and the best that, thing is, I think Mace it, it pushes you over. I think Mace delivers it so well because he's basically just like, Anakin, thank you so much for this. We really appreciate this. Stay here, though. You don't want any part of this kind of thing. Yeah. He's like, you, you don't. You don't want to, your conflict with this yeah. friend. I I know I know you know he's a Sith, but like yeah. I'm ready to just smoke this guy. You're you're not that guy right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it it's not that anyone. It's not that a single person comes at this wrong. They all have their point of view. Yeah. They all have their motivation and their reasoning that to to them is sound. But when you know what we know as an audience member. Yeah. And, and that's why I think, uh, again, going back to the cinematography, the thing I was going to th- throw back is when he turns to Anakin and says, not from a Jedi. Obviously, that's, again, the closure of Act One. It's this big moment of like, like um, again, Palpatine just kind of saying like, oh, is that is that me getting a lasso around you? Let me just reel that in over the next few scenes. Yeah. Like he really sinks the hooks into him. And the one way I really enjoyed that they did this uh, cinematography wise is. Like I said, the whole time the the tale of Darth Plagueis being paid, he's watching Squid Lake. He's mm-hmm. just sort of thousand hours stare. When Anakin's like, hey, can I learn this power? Turn. He turns his head. He finally gives Anakin his full attention for the first real time. Because even when he says like, oh, we have General Grievous, he's kind of sort of saying it over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. His but eyes aren't, there's no eye contact. This is when yeah. pa- Palpatine like makes full eye contact and says, no, Anakin, you can't learn that from them. But I could teach you mm-hmm. because I'm the apprentice.
is from the story. So, okay. So, can I ask you a couple questions? Hit me. At this moment, Mm -hmm. obviously, we feel that Palpatine is hinting that he is the Sith apprentice who learned this power, who is the current Sith master, who has orchestrated this whole thing. We obviously know this, Mm -hmm. right? How much is Anakin feeling this? You know, Anakin waits until he knows. Anakin waits until they have their confrontation later on to draw his lightsaber in the head with Sith Lord. Yeah. So at this point, do you feel that Anakin knows and is just not trusting his instincts? um, If I said something like, hey, I I heard Ross murdered a guy that one time. My initial reaction is going to be like, no, that's that's not possible. And I think that's what Anakin's doing. He's like. What a weird thing for him to tell me that Sith story. I wonder how he learned it. Yeah. Because I think it's just that natural thing of this is a man Anakin has known since a very young, impressionable age. He's a guy who's been watching his career with great interest. (laughs) And to be honest, I think Palpatine was just I think there's a bunch of Anakins in the universe. I think there's a lot of people that that Palpatine has uplifted, put in positions of power like Tarkin, mm-hmm. like who's just like he's like just seeding the universe because he's like, when I control the universe, I want to have some pieces on the board that I can use to yeah. maintain my control. Yeah. And I think it's when he kills Dooku at the beginning of episode three. And he's like, oh, oh, you're my next apprentice boy. I yeah. like you. Yeah. I've always liked you. Yeah. But now I know. It's basically like that is the be well the end of his Sith trials. The okay, I've seen enough to know that I can fully push you over the edge. Now let's bring it home. Yeah, because really, ultimately, that is Anakin's first direct Sith lesson from Palpatine of kill him, kill him now. You know when when Anakin takes out Dooku, which happens earlier in this movie. If when you're not you, remembering, when, you, when your replacement is ready to die and you've bested them, you have nothing learnt more to le- learn yeah. from them. Kill them. Yeah. It is really something else when you look back on how well it's conceived. Well, and like I said, and the whole feel of this scene is just, in my opinion, is it is, again, Palpatine untucking, you know, taking a notch off the belt, untucking Mm -hmm. the the tie, and just getting ready for to sit back and watch his decades worth of planning just fire off as Mm -hmm. he has planned it. Never before has the Emperor been able to say, all is going as I have foreseen with such certainty. Yeah. Other than getting his face shocked to heck and back by Mace Windu, everything else in this movie is going exactly as he planned. <laughs> all right. Well, I can't wait to talk about the arrest of the Chancellor another Ooh, time. That's because another scene. That's an amazing scene. Uh, you know, just earlier today, I saw there was an announcement for a uh, Kit Fisto and Plo Kloon back Black Series. Ooh. So maybe when that comes out, we'll talk you can about get the posse the together. Yeah, we're only missing a couple after that. What Eth Koth and who else goes? No, not Eth Koth. Who else is in the? Is, well, we'll um, figure it out. We didn't research the, that the, one. The, um, there's the one Eridorian master. Yeah. There's um, it's a crew. Yeah. Again, the the saddest being Kit Fisto. He was smiling even till he died. He was. Love that smiling guy. <laughs> We're going to talk about Kit Fisto, but I guess the point yeah. of the matter is, let's just wrap this up by yeah. just re-emphasizing. Uh, jokes aside, yeah. this is the strongest that the script has ever been in any Star Wars uh, episode four. I think episode all up down is a stronger script all the way through. Yes, but this is probably the best crafted piece of dialogue that 
um, I think George Lucas ever came up with. I think Ian McDiarmid plays it perfectly. I think Hayden Christian plays off of that wonderful performance with exactly the right amount of like interest, but also going, what is he talking about? Yeah. Like the, the whole scene plays out wonderfully and just feels so high art and Shakespearean in the sense of like, it's got such a dramatic thing. Like we're not seeing the tale of dark Plagueis. We're hearing it and yes. hearing him tell it is so much more delicious and interesting than if we had seen it. Yes. Yes. So good. I agree completely. Uh, it is a masterclass in setting up a scene, everything about it, yep. not just from the writing, but the set design, the sound, the score, right? Everything, the lighting, it's, <sighs> it's magnifique. Yeah. There's no better way to say it. It's great. So if you haven't watched it in a while, I'd highly recommend it. And hey, if you haven't read the Revenge of the Sith novelization, check it out because it's even, I would say, better hmm. in the context of the way that book is written. Mm. Very good. Well, until then, we'll leave Squid Lake here. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about opera and Star Wars some years from now. <laughs> So, Mac, next up, let's talk about a little bit of an interesting character, because this is a character who has never appeared in a Star Wars film. Okay. He has not appeared in a Star Wars TV show. Yeah. He's not from the holiday special. Nope. This character is from a trilogy of novels. Now, uh, okay. this character is currently a canon character. He is someone who is part of the larger story he does interact with characters who we know and love mm -hmm. uh he is mr bones so uh dash render out mr bones in got it <laughs> so mr bones mr bones is a b1 battle droid remember battle droids they were in a couple yes. movies yeah we've they're kind actually, of robots we've actually guns. already discussed them we have he, yeah this is a b1 battle droid which means it's got an independent processing yeah. system so you know why uh he's named bones because he looks like a skeleton uh he's a b-o-n-e battle droid oh uh-huh he's a <laughs> yeah i thought that was interesting so chuck b wendig the author who created mr bones for the aftermath trilogy of books yep. uh where he appears and really only appears in this trilogy uh named him bones because of b o n e b one a b one battle droid, his name is Bones. God, interesting. I see what they did. Now there. you I'm might sure hear one's usually printed as a numeral, but I get you. Right. Well, he was named by a child, and I think that's what we have to look at. That is because I still think a child was he a skeleton in there. Mister Bones is an <laughs> odd name in Star Wars. I find it kind of weird, but when you think about it through the lens of it's named that by a child, a child who has no friends, no parents to look after him. You know, you, you can understand a little bit of whimsical nature to this character. Well, it, it's it's Tem and Wexley's basically imaginary friend given form. Yes, essentially. So if you're not familiar, uh, Tem and Wexley does appear in a Star Wars film, uh, Episode 7, The Force Two Awakens. Them. Two of them because he's in the new one, too. Well, yes, that I'm one isn't so out I'm so excited yet. he's in yes, the new one. I'm talking about ones we've seen at this point, right, in 2019. Oh, that's true. That's true. But, yes, he is in. He's played by uh, Greg 
what, how do you say his last name? Guttenberg? Guttenberg? That sounds right. I was right the first time. Guttenberg? So. Something like that. Um, if you don't know, he was on Heroes. He's been he's in other refer- things, but that's the only the thing I can think his, of. His career is he's J.J. Abrams' lucky charm. Like, J.J. <laughs> Abrams puts him in, like, everything he does. And he's great in pretty much everything he does. Yeah, I he, like him. he plays a small part in Episode 7, but he is really good. He's one of the X-Wing pilots. He's Snap Wexley. Yes, his name. So later on, he gets the name Snap. Temin Snap Wexley. Yeah. But uh, he is the one. He is the creator of Mr. Bones when he's young. So a little background on uh, Temin and Bones. Basically... Uh, his parents were not present during his childhood. So his father was taken into slavery by the empire. And then his mother went off to join the rebellion because of what happened to his father. So his, his uh, mother, Nora Wexley, uh, flew at the battle of Endor and then bones and Temin's story picks up. I believe the first aftermath novel was set six months after the battle of Endor, if I remember correctly. And so basically Nora is uh, in a situation where she goes back. She finds her son who was staying with his aunts Mm -hmm. and Temin has created this robot, this friend, this bodyguard, Mm -hmm. Mr. Bones. Now, Mr. Bones will be a character in all three of the Aftermath novels. It is a trilogy. And just to round it out here at the beginning, he's basically the comic relief and the muscle. Yes. That's his role. So he's, he's K2SO before K2SO. I was gonna say, he's serving the role that K2SO inherited from like HK47 from the games of here's like a kind of like really powerful robot who is funny just because, oh, yeah, he's a robot. He doesn't have compassion <laughs> and he doesn't feel like a human being does like. Well, one of the things that's interesting about him. Yeah. Is they go into his personality a lot. Mm-hmm. And they really sell you. So the reason, and I have this uh, written down here, you know, that Temin creates him is that, you know, he has no friends. But essentially, he takes the programming a little bit from General Grievous's, uh, you know, type of code. Mm-hmm. He Well, they don't outright say that, but it's heavily implied uh, in the novel. He takes some uh, some code from all over, from different sources. And that's why this droid has such an odd personality. Yeah. And uh, it's also said that, you know, this droid even is implied to have feelings, that he's glad to see that uh, Nora isn't blown up at the end of the novel. Uh, You know, he phrases it differently. But he basically, he does act as if he has an attachment to these characters. He does. And that carries through uh, all three of these novels. But, I I mean... Very specifically, like, he does have that sort of, like, blunt violence to him. Yeah, well, he's a droid made to be dangerous. So he's got, let's describe him a little bit, Mac. Why don't you okay. do that? Because I know you have a picture of him in front of you yeah. there. so the whole thing about it is, so he is a um, he is a B1. So you've got the basic skeletal Geonosian form. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that he's got a very custom paint job. He's yep. completely, like, basically red with black accents or black with red accents. Yeah. You choose which I would describe goes. it as a very brown red, though, like a very muddy red. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say it's not like a fire engine red or anything it's like, like a, that. Yeah, what you're saying there is it's a blood red, and I mean blood yeah. in the real thing, not, yeah. like, cartoon blood. Yeah. If you had asked me, I would say burnt orange is kind of how I would almost describe it. Hmm. I could see that. I think it's a little more red than that, at least yeah. in the picture I'm looking at, yeah. so... Um, and one of the other things about it is one of his eyes has been kind of like, they kind of gutted out one side of his skull and put in a different, uh, set of optics. So like one of his eyes has got almost like a scope to it and you can Mm -hmm. kind of see the exposed mechanics of it. Yeah. 
and then he's got a number of little accents of these kind of like white little armor pieces that kind of, again, look sort of sinewy and bony. Yeah. Uh, coming off of his shoulders and kind of a crest going up his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one of his distinguishing features is his left arm has a spring-loaded hand, which pops back towards its forearm yeah. and then drops a very, very, you know, um, sharp spike. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so vibroblades is what we would generally call those in Star Wars. And uh, the thing about it is, throughout the novels, he has many different parts. He gets uh, beat up and restored and fixed a couple of times. At one point, he has the leg of an astromech droid, so think R2, attached to one of his arms. So, you know, he does go through some changes, but this is basically his normal, his base form. So we're going to talk a little bit about the beginning of Bones and what he does at the beginning and throughout the first Aftermath novel a little bit. And then we're going to talk a little bit about his end. But we're not going to cover every plot point for the simple fact that this is not going all in on the Aftermath novels. This is just talking about the personality of this droid. So one of the things that we see throughout the novel is that uh, Bones is the muscle. He's the one taking out stormtroopers, Mm -hmm. taking out other gang members and thugs he's basically protecting Temin. and there are times throughout the novel where he becomes deactivated he becomes injured and then actually at the end of the first aftermath novel he actually gets his head blown off right so basically uh at the end of the novel without going into too many spoilery details they're assaulting um you know a building and a stormtrooper gets a shot off takes him down And then the main villain that we're pursuing shoots him six times in the head, blows his head clean off. That'll do it. Yes, it will. And then the novel ends with Nora reunited with her son, Temin, and they're rebuilding Mr. Bones together and goes on throughout the rest of the novels there. You know, he's with them again until the end, which we'll talk about momentarily. But I want to talk a little about his personality, because not only is he a wisecracker, right? Not only is he making some jokes, but it's really more his actions that are funny. They're not meant to be said as jokes they're not like um right you know a k2 where he is snarky right he's just odd he's out of the ordinary and to us as the audience we find that funny right because it's just out of character so he's this he described he's a kind of self-described murder droid um, partially self-described, described see, also that, by the other see, cast See, that's where I get characters. back to sort of this, like, blunt violence to him. Yeah. Uh, he sings, you know, he, he likes to hum and make sounds, and he, he moves, they describe him as moving with a, a gracefulness, like a dancer. You yeah. know, almost like what I would describe as, like, a ninja, you know, where he's just, he's moving stealthily and quickly and just taking people out with these blades that he has on his arms. Well, doing pirouettes and stuff as he stabs people. I mean, he's got a, I mean, the B1 platform is very spindly to begin with. So yeah. I kind of think of, remember the, uh, from Clone Wars, the um, droid commandos? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel he kind of moves like them. Like you said, that ninja, yeah. that's just sort of unnatural grace. Yeah. And they do talk about him being reinforced and stronger and faster. And he's definitely souped up in more ways than just his programming. Yeah, hot rod. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Now, if you don't know the premise of the Aftermath novels after the first one, because the first one is basically uh, a small group of rebels getting stranded on a planet where the remnants of the Imperials are meeting to plan their next moves, right? They've been defeated. There isn't as much of them left. They're all in fighting for power, right? Yeah, the whole point of the Aftermath series is to uh, tell a story 
but in the like grander, like to take one step back from the yeah. story and look at the scope, is sort of describing the nature of the galaxy in between the yes. end of Endor yes. and the beginning of the Battle of Jakku. Like, yes. what is the Imperial and the Rebellion doing? We learned key facts like, oh, well, the Republic's going to get to disarming. The yes. uh, Empire doesn't know what to do, so they need to meet up with whatever leftover like Grand Admirals are there to try and figure out what are we going to do. Yes. Like there's a lot of infighting and politicking and all this kind of stuff. And we are in a much tighter scope yes. on these set of characters. But again, this is sort of just what is it like in that 30, well, not 30, that what six year period? When's Battle of Jakku? The Battle of Jakku takes place about a year oh, it's after only a Endor. Year? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. If I, if my memory serves, I don't well, think it's more than that, but, um, so here's the thing about this, right? Yeah. So the first book sets that stage, as you're saying. And then the second novel goes into this group that we meet and assembles in the first novel. They basically turn into a team of mercenaries hunting down Imperial war criminals. Yes. So generals who have gone into hiding, admirals, you know, high-ranking officials who they're trying to bring to the tribunal, trying to try them in open court. Yes. Uh, and that's a really interesting premise. So if you're interested in these books, I definitely recommend. I think the first one got a lot of flack because I think the marketing and the advertising around it was well, maybe with a setting name it up like, to be something it wasn't. Well, with a name like Aftermath, everyone's like, oh, this is immediately after yeah. Emdor. And like, yeah, you see the Emperor statue getting pulled down in uh, Monument Square on Coruscant, yeah, just like we right. saw in the special editions. And then six months later. Yeah. It's really not about that. Yeah. It's it's using that as a backdrop to set yes. up a lot of information. Now, I do want to take one minute, minute here and address one concern that sometimes comes up because I definitely recommend reading this trilogy. I do think the first book is the slowest out of all of them. And it's maybe the least interesting from a galaxy perspective, but it does a really great job of setting up these characters. But having said well, that, pe people wanted to, and oh man, I was in this camp of like, ah, oh, I want to know what happened. Like, how did the Republic yeah. fall? How did the Empire get down? And like, who's this Mr. Bones guy? Why are we spending time on this? <laughs> it is different. It is unexpected. And to compare this story to what we learn in Legends, right? Just to give you guys a quick detour here. In Legends, the first novel that takes place after Endor literally picks up right after. It's called. It's a novel called The Truce of Bakura. Luke Skywalker is kidnapped by this other alien race. It's this whole thing. It's and whole it thing. really shows the difference between what we've done in canon now, new canon, Disney canon, versus what was in Legends and how, to a certain extent, it's a little bit more streamlined now, right? It's a little bit cleaner. But one of the things that comes up around this novel a lot when people are talking about it is people are saying there are details in here that should have been in episode seven you know the demilitarization sure. of the new republic that is set up here well, right I mean, well, and then people are wondering well why is the new republic not ready and here's my point around all of this yeah when we're seeing say episode seven let's use that as our example here because that's tied into this novel and this series of novels we're seeing the story there of Finn, Ray, and Kylo Ren. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, Poe and Han and Leia and these other characters. But really, we're seeing a character, a study, a story about these three characters. Yes. And so when people say, well, why don't they have a, a scene describing the demilitarization of the New Republic? Why don't they have a scene explaining what the Hosnian system is? Well, that's because to these characters in that moment, that doesn't matter to their story. 
Mm-hmm. Right? These movies are about it would these take too intimate much time character away. moments, not this thing as a whole. So when people say, well, I shouldn't have to read a novel to understand what's going on, you don't for these characters. If you want to understand the galaxy as a whole, believe it or not, that can't really be talked about in a two-hour and ten-minute movie, maybe. Yeah. But that's why we have this tie-in material. Well, I think there's... Okay, so... Well, no, we'll just... Let's get back on topic. Okay. Um, because uh, I think the biggest thing, like you said, I think the Aftermath novels were set up to not succeed in the sense of fans thought this was like, oh, this is going to fill in all the gaps with all the world building I need. And it's not that. It's about a group of characters yeah. having an adventure in Star Wars, which is what every Star Wars story is yeah. actually about. And it gives you little hints and little tips bits. throughout. Right. Because there's a whole subplot, at least in the first book, that was like the meeting Imperial Remnants and how yes. they see the galaxy. And there's also Wedge is uh, a character in there. And we kind of see from yes. him what the leadership of the Re- the Republic, the, you know, the rebels, like how that feels. But again, I can understand people going in and going, yeah. what is this kid doing with a robot? I didn't sign <laughs> up for this. Well, actually, if you read the back cover, you did. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So Mr. Bones, after he's rebuilt yeah. and we go through a couple more novels. Uh, so he and the Wexleys are going off c- capturing uh, Imperial <laughs> Woven Criminals to bring him to Nuremberg or wherever. Yes. And basically uh, his story comes to a culmination on Jakku. Yes. So there was a Battle of Jakku, which is basically where the Imperial remnants are all but destroyed. You know, the rest of their structure, their commanders, their flagships are all destroyed over the skies of Jakku. And there are things happening on the planet as well. Now, not to get too into it, but basically the Emperor had set up a plan to blow up all of Jakku and all of the New Republic and Imperial Remnant with it. Basically, one last big kind of middle finger to take them all out. And our characters that we meet in these novels have to stop that on the ground while this whole space battle is raging above them. Yes. Well, long story short, Mr. Bones has a heroic moment, saving Temin from some stormtroopers, sand troopers, and then he jumps up into an ATST, kills the commander, and as he pokes his head back out, some A-wings come by and blow up the ATST, doing their job, yeah. thus killing Mr. Bones. Yes. And ending Once his and for all. character arc. Yes. So it's interesting because we get to know this character mm-hmm. who's a droid for sure. Yeah. But a little bit more, just like the way we feel about K2SO, just like the way we feel about three C3PO and R2D2 and some of our other characters, he becomes a little bit more to the people he's closest with. Well, I think with L3 and Solo we're full, fully establishing if you don't let a if you don't do cl- memory wipes, this is what happens. <laughs> they form personalities which are more just like conduits for them to simplify the information that they do so yes. they start thinking of like oh we well, keep calling me friend i'll think of you as friend that's easier than remembering you as designated friendly you know target or whatever yes. like it always has that one little stint of like mm-hmm. you know does mr bones really care about snaps or is he programmed to and the answer is i don't know and it really doesn't matter to snaps especially to Snaps, he's a friend. To Tem and Wexley, he's a friend. And that's all that really matters. Right. Like, there, there's always this fun thing with droids of how much are we imprinting a personality on them and how much do they actually have? And the answer is, in most of the interesting ones, it's 50-50. Yeah. It's a really interesting character. It's a really interesting, different, unique thing uh, that we really hadn't seen a whole lot of. Yeah. Right? A droid that was friendly and also this dangerous. Yes. You know, Um. I think 
he's a character I wouldn't mind seeing more of, you know? Maybe uh, Snap will rebuild him in uh, oh my The Rise gosh. of Skywalker. What if he's just back there? He's like, Bones, come with me. And he just walks, runs <laughs> off to his ship with the bone. With the, is that the... is Wow, Chuck Wendig must be happy. <laughs> well, uh, I'll say a, a thank you to Mr. Wendig for creating a really cool character and writing a couple of great novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything else really to add other than I love battle droids, so let's see more of them. Well, I think it's also cool just to see this very, like, touchstone of, again, Star Wars is all about myth and legends and things repeating themselves, that this young boy takes surplus easily found droid parts, much like Anakin found protocol droid parts mm-hmm. and made a new friend. <laughs> he found even easier to count, because, I mean, geez, how many battle droids were just left behind by the Confederacy yeah. when the war closed? And put together a friend. Yeah. And battle droids are cool. We've already established that. Battle droids are cool, Mac. Battle this droids is a particularly cool. special one. Yes. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to something else. Yeah. Hey, Mac. Hey. I'd love to tell you about one of my favorite creatures added to the sequel trilogy. Mm. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Have you heard of the Hapabore? Yes, I have. <laughs> oh, the ha- See, I thought you were going for a different thing that showed up in Last Jedi. No, that's for, oh, that's no, a no, show. No. That's a show killer in the future. Yeah, we'll talk about Porgs later on. This is one of my... Uh, Shall we say first loves from the sequel trilogy? <laughs> okay. okay. Porgs came later and I do love them more, but uh, Hapabore was here first. Now, so. <laughs> now the Hapabore is uh, the, that big creature on Jakku, right? Yes. So the Hapabores are native to a couple of planets, Jakku being one of them. And we see this creature in episode seven, The Force Awakens, when Finn is stumbling through Nima Outpost. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the name of that, right? That's Nima, yeah, Outpost? Nima Outpost? Okay. So uh, stumbling through and looking desperately for water after his TIE fighter crash. And the only thing he can find is the trough that the uh, local Hapabore has bellied up to. Well, he mostly finds the trough. Then he realizes it's the trough that the Hapabore. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know what? It's been so long since uh, since he's had water that he doesn't mind, no matter how gross it may be. Yeah. No. So you if, do, you know what, when you're off the grid, you know, you got to do a lot of things <laughs> that you don't plan on. Yeah. So if you're not picturing the Hapabore, the Hapabore is maybe best described as a low rider dog mixed with a pig mixed with leather. Okay. <laughs> so okay. what are, what are those dogs? The wiener dogs or the dachshunds, dachshunds or something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, so it's got I, the kind of squat little legs. Yeah. So kind of like that, you know, where the belly drags up on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like that. Now we're talking giant here. So we're talking just to give you a reference, 2,500 kilograms. Okay. Six meters long. Mm-hmm. So it says like 18 feet. Yep. That's quite big, right? A little bit longer than 18. And about two, two and a half meters tall. So, I mean, those are that's like as tall as us. I say, right? Like six foot by like 20 feet is a pretty big beast. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it is a beast. So, this thing has kind of like a pig nose. It's got well, some... Well, it's kind of like a pig nose that just extends into a body. Yeah. 
Yeah, like it, like it's one of those sponges you drop water on and it kind of expands. A shrinky dink, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's just like all nose and then it expands from there. Um, it's sort of brownish, grayish, tannish, um, very weathered looking. I mean, you know. Yeah, because it, it's it's the other thing that's pig like on it is it just has this sort of raw hardened leathery skin like yes. it, it, you can kind of see the the pattern in it and stuff and it looks like something that like yeah if you touch it it would feel like tanned leather mm-hmm. now it is an omnivore okay mm, so it eats that. it eats people it, no, I mean, well people. i don't think it's eating people i think it's eating uh small you know Bugs, just like the like crystal Pumba. foxes yeah uh but also plants it's native to both jakku and Deveron, which is a planet huh. we learn about in a Star Wars novel that we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, so it's native to uh, both desert and jungle environments. So, you know, all its basic facts. Now, we see this not just when it pushes Finn away from the watering hole in The Force Awakens. And that's really the only moment of screen time it gets. It makes a little yeah. snort, bumps him away with the side of his snout and then goes back to drinking. Mm-hmm. Right, basically saying this is my water, not yours. Yeah, uh, but we also come across Hapabors in the Star Wars Junior novel, Weapon of a Jedi. Oh, okay. Did you ever read that one, Mac? No. Well, you're missing out because this is the novel <laughs> where one of Ross's other TFA, The Force Awakens, loves comes in, and that is Sarko Plank. Oh, he's an actual character in that book, Mac. Uh, speaking of people that basically don't exist in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? He exists in the movie more than Zuvio does. That's true. And we've Not done a whole much. episode. We've done a whole topic on Zuvio. Well, so there's a lot deck, more to I'm talk sure. about with Plank. So we'll come back to him. But basically, in this novel, which, if you don't remember, was a lead up to The Force Awakens, there were three of these novels. One that focused on Leia called Moving Target. Mm-hmm. Wait. Yeah. One that focused on Han called what? Smuggler's Bounty? Smuggler's Run? I think it's something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting those mixed up with those great audio plays they produce that yeah. all have a smuggler's something. Yeah. And then there is uh, Weapon of a Jedi, which stars Luke. And so basically, uh, Luke is on a planet, um, and he comes across this uh, this man named Sark, well, this alien named Sarko Plank. And Sarko Plank uses Hapavors as transportation. You know, he has saddles on them, say, and they, they they're able to work. move around. They're, you know, one of the energies they give is like a much less fierce dewback. They kind of have that big yeah. lumbering kind yeah. of creature, like, again, like riding an elephant. You're yeah. not going to get there fast, but you'll get wherever you need to go. This thing can cross territory. Well, you know, it's interesting because they can move relatively fast. It may not look like it, but they can actually cover cover uh, several kilometers at a time. Well, I mean, they're kind of like camels or something, right? Yeah. It, it's more the fact of, like, their stride. They don't stop. Yeah, they just keep on moving. Uh, I'm guessing they can store a lot of water. Well, they're native to Jakku, so they must be ready to live in a desert. <laughs> yeah. So the Hapabors, you know, they don't get a lot of screen time. They don't appear in a lot of material. But uh, they've been built up a little bit around The Force Awakens. You know, they got some lore added into them. And to be honest, in a lot of cases, that's my favorite thing about Star Wars, is just plant a seed and then walk away from it. And yes. fandom and canon and all this stuff, we'll, we'll, we'll figure yes. it out later. And yes. so, like, the Hapavor is really cool because... It's just such a weird, unique-looking creature yeah. that fits Star Wars. I don't think anyone's going to look at that and go, like, that doesn't belong. Because, like, a thing, you had things like these uh, kind of beasts of burden around Star Wars before. Mm-hmm. Like, you had the Dubaks in the original yep. trilogy. You ha- have things like the Rontos that came in the special edition. <laughs> you had um, the, uh, I can't remember the name of it, the lizard things that you ride in Episode 3 that Obi-Wan rides. Oh, begins with a V. 
Uh, like we, yeah. we've we've seen these this yeah. class of critter a lot. The the the, the oxen, the horse, the elephant of yes. Star Wars, and so it's kind of funny that like it just made sense. It's just like oh yeah, this place is just chock full of life. I mean, we could have used a load lifter for this, but look at this big pig thing. It worked out. Yeah. You know, I love Star Wars creatures now. It wasn't something I really was into growing up with Star Wars. Mm. Creatures didn't do a whole lot for me. You know, I was mostly interested in the Jedi and the Force, and that was about as far as it went. Droids, aliens, creatures weren't really my thing. Ships uh, as creatures much. Creatures weren't really my thing. They don't have yeah. designations. They don't tell me what kind of hyper cannons they yeah. have. You know, like the stuff I cling to. Yeah, but now here we are uh, with a whole new slate of movies, and I'm just finding myself drawn to more and more of them. And the Hapabore is no exception. It's a great creature design. I think it looks awesome. I think it serves a nice little bit in the plot here there with Finn. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also, Disney made a latex version of it. Yes, they did. Which I'm about. I remember on a Force Fridays long ago, us trying uh-huh. to figure out, can we can we get the Hapabore? Oh, it's only sold in Disney stores. But wait, does the local Disney store have it? <laughs> well, you know what? I ended up having to go, because I don't think it was ever at Disney stores. I think it was just at the Disney parks. Oh, because was I ended exclusive. up finding it actually someone selling it third party through Amazon. Oh, okay. And so if you're not familiar with what we're talking about when we say latex, uh, the Disney store growing up had lots and lots of stuffed animals for sale. Mm-hmm. But they also had these kind of like foamy latex painted stuffed animals. Yeah. So, you know, they had some squish to them. Yeah. But they also have that plasticky texture. I think the best way to put it is these are almost whereas a plush is like a super pillow. Yeah. These are like upholstered. Huh. They're like an upholstered figure because they have a firm shape to them. Yes. But they have give. When you touch them, they feel yes. I guess a little bit what you might think a hapaboard would feel like. That that's how I think of it, right? They kind of have that same texture of like, you know, a really old person's hand. How yes. it has like that kind of craggly. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just got a different texture to it. Creases and that's kind of what this latex is like. Um, I don't even know if it is actually latex. That's just how I describe it. I think No, I think it is. It's either that or some sort of pleather. I mean, it, yeah. it's definitely got a, a, a plasticine. But like, yeah. it's got that one thing I always associate with latex is when you touch it, it feels like just not an unpleasant way, but like sticky. Like it takes uh-huh. just a nanosecond longer than you think it should be for it to release from your fingertips. Yeah, yeah. And the reason they have these, the reason they make these is because they can show incredible detail. Right in them. I mean, that's the Especially reason the to texture. have them. Yeah. Disney's also made a back in the same light, which I have. Uh, oh, okay. And they made a couple others probably, but I haven't been back to Disney World since. Uh, and let's be honest, I love the Hapavore, so, yeah. but like a plush of the Hapavore may not make as much sense. You know, this thing you is get, perfect, you get like yeah. a Fafir or a Porg that's stuffed. Totally makes sense. The Hapavore, no, nah, you, you want him to be. But like, I think you put it like like touching an old person's hand. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I don't have anything else to say other than, uh, Hapabores are really cool. If you like them, I'd highly recommend. Uh, I was just looking on eBay earlier. I think they go for about 50 bucks now or so. You probably found one terrible. for a little less. No, I think there was 30 initially, so nothing crazy, but, uh, I definitely like it. I definitely recommend it. I'll, uh, share some pictures of it when this episode comes out. So you can check that out on our Twitter. Yeah. Search Star Wars All In if you haven't. Yeah, and again, it's just it's it's again a neat little piece of the tapestry, stars, and I think it's actually fairly important in the sense of it gives us a little insight to Nima Outpost and its culture. That obviously they are—it's not just humans. There are creatures, there are yeah. beings here, and 
you know, we get to see some of that all around the post, but the Hapavor is probably the most like, it, it, this is his trough, man. He, he has a place here. He belongs here. This is where he hangs out. Get, get out of the way, little stormtrooper man. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Alright, here we come down to wrapping yet another episode of Star Wars All In. Kind of a short and sweet. I think we just picked some nice, just little, little, little Yeah, I think this is our gems. shortest shortest episode yet, Mac. Uh, we'll, we'll see once I get it done editing, but I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so we had three really fun topics. The yeah. opera scene, which I think we all love. I, oh I don't know really gosh. anyone who doesn't find that scene incredibly really, enjoyable, right? I mean, you can't really watch it out of context, but when anyone goes like, ah, oh, the prequels weren't that good, this scene, like, justifies them existing, period. Oh, yeah. If you, if you don't like this scene, then I would say that maybe there isn't anything for you there. Then I think the Sith point, and right? the villains of the Star Wars universe just aren't going to do much for you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then we talked a little bit about Mr. Bones, mm-hmm. and we talked about the Hapabor. Yeah, just talking about some interesting little characters uh, in the Star Wars universe Mm -hmm. who have, you know, um, minor in the overall, you know, uh, panorama of canon, but very important little bits. That's right. Everything in Star Wars is somebody's favorite thing. That's absolutely right. And isn't that the coolest thing about a universe this big? And it's why when you have a universe like this compared to almost any other franchise, right? It's why people take the canonical well, nature of it so seriously is yes. because there are things about it that they love that to someone else they well, might not even know that's, exists that's the whole thing about canon is it's 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 about what rules we share when we share each other's action figures <laughs> you know like hey uh yeah. han can't um be married because he's gonna fall in love with prince okay that's a bad example She's, he's married in canon the point about canon is the fact that all of this stuff, we agree to the rules of what these characters are doing, and it's not because, like the name implies, it's not for some sort of religious dogma of, like, that's not what happened. It's not so we can say he said, she said on the internet, which is what we use it for. But that's not the point. The point is so that we're speaking the same language, yeah. and this this artificial world has some solidity to it yeah. to make it feel more easy to pour ourselves into it and more easy to say, Hey, I love this thing and I can know all about it. I can know what actually happened. You know, I can know the battle of Jakku, which is a yeah. made up thing, but I can know all the movements of it. Like I could learn about a historical battle. Right. Like, and I love that. And I think that people who don't value that are usually the people that haven't fallen in love with something that's weird and off the beaten path. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's essentially, it's a story, right? Yeah. You're, you, we, we get drawn in for the story, but we, stay for the characters and the depth of the emotions that come along with that. And now it might not just be the human characters, right? It might be the the little bit, the little scene we see of the porgs in their nest together. Right. It might be the Voltex pulling itself through the rubble of the collapsed cave. It might be uh, that snake that Luke pulls out of his engine on Dagobah, right? Just yeah. that one little moment, that one character, that one thing that really makes you relate to the story in a yeah. deeper way than just this is a movie that is what is so cool about all of it. Yeah, and so um, even little things like Hapavors add to the tapestry and Mr. Bones adds to the tapestry yeah. and just the little, like again, Squid Lake adds to the tapestry. Yes. Um, it's just something that 
it makes Star Wars bigger and more interesting and more of a place to stretch out and be in. Absolutely. Uh, I can't wait to talk about more next week. Oh, yeah. I think we have some fun stuff planned. It's going to be a blast. So join us again next Wednesday when we return to talk to you about more Star Wars. And until then, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Burgess III, Ross Grieco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, movie clips, and sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2019.